Okay, so welcome back to our study of the Dhammapada. Today we continue on with verse number 36, which reads as follows. Sudundasang sunipunang yatakamavipatinang chittang rakheta medhavi chittang guttang sukhavahang which means very difficult to see and very subtle alighting on whatever it pleases the wise men the wise people guard the mind the wise guard the mind the mind that is guarded brings happiness so very similar to the last verse except the last one was jittang dantang the mind that is trained and this brings happiness. And this one is jittang guttang, which means the mind that is well guarded or the mind that is uh, well t well taken care of brings happiness. So this story is actually quite an interesting story, one that has um, some important implications from a practical point of view. The story goes that there was a lay person who was from a fairly rich family, so he wasn't wanting for anything. And yet he found that uh, life had so much suffering in it. There was so much stress and trouble and, and, and just general busyness in life, even or, or perhaps especially as a rich person. And so he was living in Sabati, and there, since there were many Buddhist monks around, there was one Buddhist monk who came to their house to receive alms. And one day he came to the monk, and the, the monk came to his house, and he asked him, Dukha Munchitukamo, I am one who wishes or I wish to be free from suffering. What can I do to become free from suffering? What, where do I start? This is what he asked. And the, the elder said, Well, to start, try to give gifts, no, to, to be generous. Because, of course, giving is, is the beginning of letting go, no? Giving leads to giving up. So here you're very rich, and being very rich, therefore you're always concerned about guarding and hoarding. And so he said, that, well, the first step is to start to give, to, to learn to give up rather than to accumulate and to cling. So he said, try to give, give, you know, giving food to the monks, giving robes, giving requisites, giving whatever you can. And he suggested, because this man was obviously Buddha, he, Buddhist, he said, split your wealth up into three parts. I mean, it may have not have been equal parts, but try to split your wealth up according to these three parts. The first one is to be used in your work. You have this this uh, occupation that you have. The second part, use it to take care of your family. And the third part, just give it away. Give it to, he says, Buddha-sasana dehi. Give it, give it in the Buddha-sasana. And so he does this, and he finds that he's able to find great happiness and peace knowing that he's started to give up rather than, than accumulate. And he asks him, so what do I do next? That's not all that's required to become free from suffering. And the monk says, well, the next thing is to take the five precepts and uh, the three refuges. And he, so he does, he takes the three refuges and the five precepts and keeps them, keeps, keeps them strictly. So the three re refuges, he takes the Buddha as his refuge, always thinking about the Buddha. 
he takes the Dhamma as his refuge, always acting according to the Dhamma, and the Sangha has his refuge, always listening and respecting the Sangha. And he keeps the five precepts. So Nida stops killing, he stops stealing, he stops cheating and lying and taking drugs and alcohol. And as he does this, of course, his mind becomes more calm because morality leads to uh, concentration. So, but, but he still says to the monk, well, what's next? And there must be something else. What do I, what's the next step? And the monk says, well, then, if, uh, if you want to go even further, then you can take the, uh, take the, the ten precepts, the dasa silani, which is, is you know, then you, you become celibate, and you stop eating in the afternoon, and you stop using money, and, and uh, st stop wearing cosmetics and beautification and so on. Keep the ten precepts. And so actually, he, even living in a lay, lay, as a lay person, it seems, he started to keep the ten precepts. And when he says, what can I do next? He says, well, you know, now that you're actually keeping the ten precepts, you should just go forth, become a, become a novice. And he says, you even become a monk. And so this guy, okay, go for it. He says, go for it. Now the, the story goes just as a point of note that, that this was actually quite a special sort of uh, instance. He, was actually, he actually got a name as the Anupubha Setiputta, which means the son of a rich man who uh, learned uh, in order, learned from one step to the next, learned step by step, or developed himself, cultivated himself step by step. So in, all the way up to becoming a, a monk. You know, he, he, he practiced the teachings not directly becoming a monk, but starting with one thing and then the next and the next and the next, until finally it led him to, to ordain. Once he ordained, uh, he, he actually had, uh, the whole way through he was quite excited and quite happy, but once he ordained, this, this, this turned him on his head actually because he didn't realize what he was in for. And with everything else, he still was able to live his life as a layperson. And for the most part, you know, uh, engage in, in ordinary activities. And he didn't have many responsibilities besides these giving and keeping morality, keeping moral precepts and so on. But once he became a monk, they say his preceptor was a winyadar, which means someone who uh, knew, was very skilled in the Vinaya, knew all the, the details of the Vinaya, which are the rules for the monks and the, the things that the Buddha forbid us to do and so on. The Buddha's teaching on morality, which are you know, hundreds of rules for the monks and then hundreds of minor uh, points of, of, of etiquette and so on. And so this teacher was telling him, don't do this, don't do that. The, in Buddhism, this isn't allowed, this isn't, this is allowed, this is, this must be done, this can't be done, and so on. And really giving him uh, quite a headache, having to learn all of these rules, and he was quite overwhelmed by this. At the same time, he was given a teacher. Uh, so his, there were two, there was the preceptor, and then there's the teacher. The teacher, he was given over to a teacher who ta taught the Abhidhamma. And the Abhidhamma, well, it's not to do with morality anymore, so you don't have to worry about rules to keep, but it's all about the mind, and how these are the wholesome minds, these are the unwholesome minds. So it's a teaching that requires one to develop wholesome minds and, and unwholesome minds. So basically saying, again, saying, don't do this, do that, uh, and, and teaching very, very clearly that even the slightest bit of anger, the slightest bit of greed, is enough to, to bring you suffering and even to send you to a lower realm of existence. 
there are 89 different minds that you have to learn, or 121, or the, and then there are uh, the, the 52 jetasikas, and the, then there's 28 types of rupa, and so on, and you have to learn all of the different books of the Abhidhamma. So, so then, so here on the other side, he was he was overwhelmed by the Abhidhamma, the Buddha's teaching on wisdom, and it made his head spin to such an extent that having to learn all of this, whereas before it was just do a little bit of meditation or or, or develop yourself in uh, in the part, constituents of the body. When he first ordained, of course, they'll teach him how to how to be mindful of the hair on the head, the hair on the body, the the nails, the teeth, the skin, and the flesh, and so on. And, you know, that, that's actually pretty easy, but once he got into this teaching on the Vinaya and the Abhidhamma and had to learn all of the Patimoka, all of the rules, and then all of the, the uh, Paramatta Dhamma, he started to think, well, maybe this isn't for me. And he, he, he said, this is, this is just making my head spin. When I was a layperson, I could do good deeds, and it seemed like I was cultivating and developing myself. But here I have all, this, all of these things to learn. What can I hope to, to accomplish as a, as a monk? This is... This is Way too much. I'm not. I'm not cut out for this. In over my head. And so from that point on, he decided that he wanted to become a layman, and he he, st he started having thoughts of leaving the monk life, which was kind of must have been kind of a conflict for him, because he he had in his heart the going step by step, and this was the next step, and he couldn't con he couldn't uh, he he couldn't um, make these two things jive. That on the one hand he wanted to go the next step, and and, and on the other hand, he couldn't take it as a monk, and so he thought, well, if I go back to the lay life, how can I go the next step? I'll be, I'll be, be stuck back in my life, uh, my, my, my worldly life and my worldly activities, and I won't be able to develop myself. But on the other hand, there's no way I can possibly, uh, possibly be, live with having to study all of these many, many things. And so he started getting thinner, and, and, and of course much stress arose, and he wasn't able to find concentration, and he wasn't able to find peace of mind, and so he got very thin and sickly, and wasn't able to practice meditation, wasn't able to eat, and so on. And so the young monks, they all saw him in this state, and they asked him what was wrong, and he said, I want to become a layperson, I can't take this anymore. And so they, they, they immediately took him and brought him to see the Buddha to have the Buddha sort of straighten him out if he could. And they told him, they said, this monk is, this monk wants to disrobe. And the Buddha said, is that true? And they said, yes, it's true. Why, why is it that you want to disrobe? And he said, Bhante, I, I, I have my, my preceptor that teaches the Vinaya. There's 227 rules that I have to learn. And of course, all of these minor rules and then the Abhidhamma, all that I have to learn there. I can't take it. This is, this is too many things for me to have to get under my belt, have to uh, keep track of. And the Buddha said, well, tell, tell me, can you, uh, can you guard one thing? Can you take care of one thing? And he says, uh, if you can, if you can uh, guard one, one thing, If you're able to guard one thing, then all of the rest of the things, then there is no need, or you have no duty, you have no responsibility to guard all of the rest, to, to, to care for or to concern yourself with all the rest. 
when he said one thing, suddenly he brightened up and he's thinking, yes, one thing I can do, that's, that's of course how he, how he practiced the whole way, one by one by one by one. So he said, give me one new thing, great, and then I'll be able to take care of that. And he said, if you can guard your mind, then all of the rest of these things are, are, are meaningless, are, 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 are not necessary, if you're able to guard your mind. And that's when he gave this teaching, Sududda Sangs Sunipunang and so on. Said the mind because it's the mind that leads hap that brings the happiness. When you guard the mind, jitangutang sukhavang. And when he on this on hearing this teaching, he was able to refocus his mind. And even as the Buddha was giving him the teaching, he was able to become a sotapanna. And as a result, um, gain correct understanding and had no desire to disrobe after that, and was able to practice on. So how this relates to our practice is, um, is, is quite important, actually, as, as I think you can understand that all of this study that we do you know, may not be nearly as necessary as we think. So people who come to Buddhism and, and read about all of the various parts of the teaching, the three pittakas, the Vinaya pittaka, the Sutta pittaka, the Abhidhamma pittaka, and they, they might respond one of two ways. They might think this is too much, or they hear about becoming a monk and they think, wow, becoming a monk is so many rules that you have to keep, and they think that must be incredibly difficult. Or they read about the Abhidhamma, and some people even throw the Abhidhamma out, thinking that's not the Buddhist teaching, that's really just way too much. Or on the other hand, people get, get quite keen about this and think, wow, 227 rules, what a challenge. And so they devote their lives to learning these rules and to learning the fine points and, and debating these rules and so on. Or they spend all their time learning the Abhidhamma, wow, 89 jittas, 89 minds, and learning about those, and all the jetasikas and so on. And both of these will really miss the point of the teaching, obviously. The, 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 vinaya, the, the vinaya and the Abhidhamma, it's quite interesting to talk about these two, because they really describe in, in, in these two Tupitakas, Put together, they describe the two aspects of what the Buddha talked about here. When the Buddha says, Jittang Guttang Sukhavahang, the guarded mind uh, brings happiness. Because the Abhidhamma explains to us what is the mind. It has as its basis the understanding of experience, the understanding of the mind's uh, perception of the world around it. Around it. Uh, so it teaches about the mind, it also teaches about what it means to guard or it, it teaches about the state of guarding, or it teaches about um, the states that come from guarding the mind. So it teaches that, that side of this. The Vinaya, on the other hand, teaches you how to guard. You know, the purpose of the Vinaya is to teach you how to be mindful, how to, how to keep your mind from falling into the unwholesome states. It's, it's the, the most practical aspect of the Buddha's teaching. It's, what, it's not only these rules, but the Vinaya is actually the beginning of the meditation practice where you guard your mind, when your mind goes, uh, when your foot moves and your mind stays with the foot, or your mind goes off and you bring your mind back to the foot. This is the kind of, of vinaya. This is the guarding or the, the training the mind. And this is what leads to concentration, which in turn leads to wisdom. So, it's, it's, it's quite important for us to understand this, to understand that the Vinaya and the Abhidhamma actually are only for the purpose of guarding the mind. That's all they mean. In the end, the whole of the Abhidhamma plus the whole of the Vinaya 
is just for the purpose of creating this concentrated state, the clarity of mind, which is what we find in the suttas. So these three pitakas, even the suttas themselves, are just this practice which brings the, the vinaya uh, and allows us to, to realize the content of the Abhidhamma. So we use the, the, the vinaya to develop the, the concentration that we, we read about in the suttas, the Satipatthana Sutta, where we know when we're walking, we know we're walking. When we're sitting, we know we're sitting. And in the Bahiya Sutta, for example, where the Buddha says, when you see, it should only be seeing, and so on. And when you do that, then the Abhidhamma arises, the knowledge in the Abhidhamma. So the purpose for studying these uh, is not just for some intellectual activity. It's, it's a description or, or a, um, a teaching that allows us to guard our minds and to find happiness as a result. So it's quite important, first on that level, to understand what is the Vinaya for and what is the Abhidhamma for, that they're actually just for guarding the mind. Now, on a, on a, going, going right into the uh, verse itself and understanding what the Buddha meant here, we can pick it apart because the words are a little bit different from the last one. He, he's basically explaining that how, how difficult it is to, to guard the mind and, and how, uh, how, how important it is to really understand what is the mind and to, un and, and to undertake to guard it. So he's actually not speaking in dispraise of the Vinaya or speaking in dispraise of his own teachings in the Vinaya or the Abhidhamma. He's explaining what they're, they're used for. He says, look, the, the Vinaya and the Abhidhamma is just to help you understand what is the mind and to understand how to guard it. Because the mind is difficult to see, this is the Buddha. It says, Suddhudasang. It's difficult to see. So if you... If you simply undertake the teachings in the sutta saying I'm going to learn to see the mind and to understand the mind I'm going to undertake to develop mindfulness or so on and you don't have any vinaya, you don't have any precepts if you're living in a monastic community and you're not keeping all of these precepts you're not following the rules of the community or you don't know the rules of the community it can be very difficult to, to develop that um, so at the very least the, the vinaya is something that you have to learn to, to, to stay in the community but at the same time, if you, can, if you can understand this essence of guarding the mind, of keeping the mind from getting angry, you know, keeping the mind from judging, from keeping the mind from wanting, keeping the mind from clinging, then it is very difficult for you to break the rules anyway. And so this is the essence of the Vinaya, is to guard the mind. And, he's, and so the mind is very subtle as well. So he's saying without, without the Vinaya, without, the, without even the Abhidhamma, even the Abhidhamma we can understand how uh, the essence of the Abhidhamma is very important. It's important for us to understand what is the ultimate reality. Because if we begin to practice meditation, but instead of focusing on reality, we're focusing on concepts, we, we won't get anywhere. So if when, we, when we hear a sound, we think about... If you hear the birds and you think about them as birds and you start to think about what are the birds and, and what are the characteristics of birds and what are their attributes and so on, you'll never, you'll never come to see imperm impermanent suffering and non-self because birds don't have that attribute of impermanent suffering and non-self. They don't have the attribute of arising and ceasing. The bird continues on throughout the whole of its life. But if you focus on the ultimate reality, just the hearing, you'll see the hearing arising and ceasing, if you say to yourself, hearing, hearing, and so on. So this, this is the, the essence of the Abhidhamma, and this is why the, the, there's the use in, at all in studying the Abhidhamma. 
So if you do study the Abhidhamma, this is the use of it. The Buddha said, um, it's, it's because the mind is difficult to understand and difficult to perceive. If you don't, un if you don't understand uh, w what exactly is the mind, it's not some, some thing as some people believe, it's some object like a ball that exists somewhere in the body or in the brain or so on. Uh, the mind is simply an, uh, uh, an experience that arises and ceases, and the Abhidhamma is what explains this. But on the other hand, as the Buddha, just to get the monk back on the right track, he said, really all you need is, is to understand that, to understand what is the mind, to understand what is ultimate reality, to understand things from an experiential point of view. So basically taking whatever this monk had learned from the Vinaya and from the Abhidhamma and helping him to see what is the point, but of course this was the real problem, not that he was doing all this studying, but that he didn't understand what it was for. And he could never think to put it into any use. He said, what is, this? what is the use of all these rules? It's like learning law books. And what is the use of all this learning these minds? My, the, the 89 minds or so on, well the mind, yeah the mind, it's there. The use is this essence to learn from the Vinaya how to guard our minds and from the Abhidhamma to learn what is the mind that we're supposed to guard. And then the word this is we learned from last time, but it's it's still a very interesting word that the mind is something that alights on whatever it uh, whatever it pleases. So no matter whether it's something appropriate or inappropriate, good or bad. And this has particular meaning in this verse or in this story, in the sense that this he's reminding this monk that just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's wrong or or uh, just because something's difficult doesn't mean it's wrong, or, or just because you want to disrobe doesn't mean you should disrobe. Reminding him, be careful of your mind, don't let your mind lead you in this way, don't let your mind trick you into wanting to disrobe. Very good advice for monks. Everything will trick you, as we were talking about in, in terms of a community. The monastic community is something that you have to be very careful with. It's very easy to get caught up in other people's issues or in community issues, in issues that deal totally with conventional reality. This layer of reality that is just people and places and things and problems and situations and needs and wants and so on. And has nothing to do with, or, or has only tangentially anything to do with reality. The, the whole vast layer of experience underneath that uh, is, is it on a totally different level. And so when we get caught up in this, the mind will carry us away and make us believe what is, what is wrong to be right and what is right to be wrong. What is harmful to be harmless, what is harmless to be harmful. So we begin to think that this person is evil, that person is evil, this person is a problem, that person is a problem. And we forget that there is no person at all. We, see, we forget that the person isn't the problem at all. The problem is our mind and our own attachments and our own desires and our own aversions. Very easy in a monastic setting, because, of course, we, we can become very volatile. Here we are removed from all of our delights, all of our uh, pastimes, all of our um, diversions. So we have nothing to divert our minds from the, the reality. And so it's very easy for the anger that we have inside to build up and, and, and overflow. It's very easy for the lust and the greed that we have inside to build up and overflow. It's very easy for the delusion to overflow. I got an email, someone uh, said, told me he went to see this teacher, a lay teacher in a lay center, and the lay, cent the lay teacher was say, telling him, 
he was asking why there are no monks at the meditation center. And he said, oh, well, you don't need to be a monk to teach meditation. And he said, sometimes monks can get a god complex. This is what the teacher told him. So it was kind of like uh, actually saying that it might be a bad thing to decide to ordain or, or becoming a monk can be a bad thing. But it's simply because as a monk you don't have the same outlet as a layperson. So all the, everything that you have inside will come up. And it's actually a, a, a sign. When you become a monk, the fact that all of this comes up isn't a sign that becoming a monk is wrong. It's just a, it, it's a sign that the lay people have it as well. Because if, if they say that when... So what they mean is also when they become a monk, this will, this will come up. Well, that doesn't say anything good about the lay state. You know, because that means all that means is that as a layperson, you're just keeping that bottled up inside. As a monk, it actually comes out uh, because you don't have any diversion for it. So you can become very obsessed, and the mind can be very. Um, you know, the mind will just do as it pleases, and it will take you in the wrong direction. It will take you to uh, to settle on on something, regardless of whether it's right or wrong. And. Uh, it will, it will make you think that there's a problem when actually there's not a problem. So the anger comes up, and what often happens then is people think they're a bad monk. They think, I can't, be, I can't live as a monk. So in his case, it was most likely anger, or it could have been delusion as well, that came up, just this aversion to studying. And because of the aversion, he thought something must be wrong. That, that, that means that being a monk is wrong, or that means that doing this is no good, because, of course, it's just bringing up anger and aversion in him. So he wants to be free from that anger and aversion. He wants to be from, free from the suffering. So he decides to leave. Instead of looking at the anger and looking at the aversion. This happens very often. Monks who have great anger come up. Even good monks. There was one monk who was teaching Abhidhamma in our monastery. And he, uh, he, he taught the lay people that smoking is against the Vinaya. That smoking is against the monk's rules. And the monk who was looking after the kutis at that time was uh, was a, quite a fierce monk, and he smoked at the time. I think he's stopped now. I'm not sure. But uh, and so he, this monk, came and 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 just was ready to kick him out. He heard that this monk was was spreading this teaching, and so he grabbed his bags and threw them out the door to get him out of the kuti. <laughs> and and so, so not about this monk, but about even the Abhidhamma teacher. The Abhidhamma teacher got very frustrated and decided that he was going to leave. He said, this monastery is no good. Why isn't the abbot doing something about this monk? Why isn't the abbot, allow Why is the abbot allowing such monks to live here? And so on. He said, this isn't a proper monastery. And he decided to leave. But it was because of his own anger. Instead of dealing with it, instead of, you know, as we teach at that monastery, as our teacher taught, teaches. You know, instead of learning to deal with it, he was just following after it. And so leaving, he got to take his anger with him. And this happens quite often. The same goes with lust. Lust is the biggest killer of monks. It's what leads, for, for, for male monks anyway, from what I've seen, it's, it's the biggest killer. Because when it comes up, you immediately think something's wrong. You think because lust has come up, you're a failure. Or you're, you're incapable of living the monastic life. And it's simply not true. You can have a great amount of lust arise and, and, and still be capable as a monk as long as you understand the lust and see it for what it is and learn to let it go, see what causes it and you know the feelings, the pleasure that causes it and understand the pleasure as well and see what causes it to cease. Watch when you're mindful how it disappears and ceases. The problem comes when you take it as a real issue. You don't realize that this is the mind tricking you. This is the mind taking you off out of reality. And... 
as a result, you think that, that there is this problem is a reality, when in fact the reality is just the lust and the feelings and the object of the lust, the seeing, the hearing, and smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. So that's the meaning of yata kama nipati nang. Very, very useful teaching. Something to keep in mind. And then he says, he explains what is to be done. Jitang raketa medhavi. Medha means wisdom. Medhavi is someone who has wisdom. Those who are wise guard their minds. The wise guard the mind. The mind that is well guarded, or the mind that is guarded, brings happiness. So how does the mind bring happiness? The commentary says it brings, because it brings magapala nibbana. That's the true meaning. But actually happiness it brings in many, on many different levels. The commentary is just giving the summary. As I said before uh, about taming the mind, the same goes for guarding the mind. And again, we don't want to misunderstand here and think that this means controlling the mind. It's very important to understand that the mind is non-self. And really what you're trying to do is, for example, when lust comes up or, or anger comes up, you're not trying to stop the mind from getting angry or lusting or stressed or worried or so on. You're kind of like building a corral. The four satipatthana are kind of like these fence posts. You put the four satipatthana down and you say, this is my, my pasture. And then you build, fence, you build a fence around. So in between these four satipatthanas, you, you, you're developing mindfulness. So mindfulness based on the body, the, 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 the action, the practice that you do is based on the four satipatthana. So the mind, you try to keep the mind within the boundaries of the four satipatthana. Which means that even when lust comes up, it doesn't mean you're not practicing. But when you when you have wanting, you say wanting, wanting. When you have anger, you say angry, angry. When you feel worried, you say worried, worried. Kind of like letting the horses or the, the animals roam and, and and run in the corral because they can't get they can't go beyond the four satipatthana. As long as you have the fences, as long as you have the mindfulness in your you're practicing. You can let it get angry and greedy and, and, and worry and confused and think and so on. Even this monk, when he thinks, I want to disrobe, that, mean, that means nothing. It means that you want to disrobe. When you want to disrobe, that's wanting, or that's aversion, or however it is. It's a thought that arises in the mind. It's based on greed, anger, and delusion. Desire that I have to do this or have to do that because of this, because of that. So this is what causes this is what causes all of our suffering when we when something bad happens to us when we lose our job when we lose our our, our home when we lose our family when we lose our possessions we think of it as a problem and we're not able to see it simply for what it is that this is a state of mind and an experience that we have with the body and the mind because we don't have the teaching on the Vinaya and the Abhidhamma. If we, even if even people who study the Vinaya and study the Abhidhamma, as this monk did, as many monks did, as this teacher of the Abhidhamma, how he could teach the Abhidhamma and still get angry uh, about an abbot not doing his his duty, instead of seeing that this was just rupa and nama, and and becoming enlightened because of it, because all he could do is teach books. He didn't have the uh, the experiential knowledge. If he had understood what the Abhidhamma is for, that right during his during this time that he was angry, the facets of the Abhidhamma were coming into play, in the, the unwholesome side. If he had understood that, and he had understood the truth of the Vinaya, the Vinaya is not this rule, this rule, this rule, and the abbot is not doing his rules according his duty according to the Vinaya. That's not what the Vinaya is. The Vinaya is you never say bad things about other people in the Vinaya. 
you, the, the true vinaya is keeping the mind, um, keeping the mind guarded, right? guarding the mind. Sorry, I don't want because here I am saying something bad about something. I don't want to misunderstand. I don't mean bad for this person. It's a, I'm using him as an example, and of course, no one here knows who I'm talking about. So, that's not. Don't think. Don't accuse me of gossiping because you don't know who this person is. But it is a very good example, and this this is a very common example. We we all become guilty of this, especially in a monastic community. We we all become guilty of this um, mistaking of conceptual reality for true reality and mistaking the teaching of the Vinaya as either something that's too theoretical or as something that's uh, that's practical, that's too practical in the sense that studying the Vinaya is, is enough to become enlightened or practicing the detailed, minute details of the Vinaya is enough and the same with the Abhidhamma. Either studying the Abhidhamma is useless or else studying the Abhidhamma is enough and once you understand intellectually the Abhidhamma that's enough. Both of these are, all of these are a problem. It's important that we understand what is the Vinaya for, what is the Abhidhamma for, and what is the Sutta for. And to understand using the Vinaya and the Abhidhamma to, to cultivate the teachings in the Sutta, to, to allow us to cultivate those teachings in the Sutta properly. With the proper basis of the Vinaya and with the proper results, which is the realization of the teachings in the Abhidhamma. So that's the explanation of this verse, something that something else that brings us happiness when you guard the mind, when your mind is not controlled, but when your mind is kept in line. And as we learned about earlier, when the mind becomes straight, because through constantly guarding it and kind of refining the actions of the mind, the mind becomes straight. And so you have happiness in your society, in your community, you have happiness in your family, you'll have happiness in the world. Most importantly, you'll have happiness inside. You'll have this harmony on all these levels. If the whole world were to guard their mind and keep their mind just at the anger and not actually saying or doing bad things, then the world would have happiness. If the society could do it, our society would have happiness. If our community could do it, our community will have happiness. If we can do it for ourselves, then we ourselves will have happiness, both here and in the next life, and finally, in the ultimate sense, when we're able to let go and we're able to see the, the truth of our experience and reach Magga Palanyibbana, the path, fruition, and release. So, thanks for tuning in. This is another teaching on the Dhammapanda.